Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Vols are piling up the points and cheering on upsets in the Pac-12. Welcome back to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. It was really a, a good day for Tennessee on all fronts on Saturday. Of course, got the, the big win against Missouri as they continue their march to try to get to 11-1 and get that playoff resume as, as uh, good as possible. And then elsewhere, number six, Oregon goes down. Number 12, UCLA goes down. Tennessee still needs a little more help, but things are improving for their playoff picture. We'll get into the playoff scene in a little bit. But first, guys, um, I want to get into the the topic of, of Josh Heupel running up the score, uh, as he was uh, accused of doing by some of the pearl-clutching circles of, of Twitterdom and, um, and on some television broadcasts, etc., um, before we get into that, just general impressions of what you saw from Tennessee on Saturday, a game that was close for about two and a half quarters before a lopsided final. This is going to sort of drift into the uh, run up the score uh, talk is that, I mean, this was a this is a competitive game for a while. Tennessee just had too much offense. If you watched the whole game, like let's say the playoff committee, if the playoff committee watched the whole game and I don't I seriously doubt they did. Um, then you would say, eh, Tennessee, you know, looks like it's sort of even with Missouri, but just better in the second half, and they pulled away, and this was a closer game than the score. If you didn't watch the game or you just watch highlights, which I suppose the committee did something around that, then you would say, uh, well, Tennessee looks like an offensive juggernaut as we thought they were, and they really poured it on Missouri, and they scored a, could have scored 100 if they wanted to. I suspect the latter is more true of what the committee saw. Uh, I think the truth is closer to the to the first one that I laid out. So, you know, good for Tennessee because these last three games, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, they need to put up a lot of points and really just confirm that they are what we thought they were before the Georgia game. And this this looked exactly like what they looked like before the Georgia game. Yes, I think that game provided affirmation for Tennessee. Missouri came into the game with the 13th ranked defense in the country. And Tennessee set a school record for yardage with 724 yards. I mean, that sends a message that uh, the Georgia game was about how good Georgia is, not about the idea that teams can figure out Tennessee's offense. Uh, 66 points, 724 yards. Uh, no matter how they got them, to me, that sends a message to the committee and, and everybody else. Uh, so I think Tennessee really did what it had to do Saturday. It was interesting, guys. I, I was uh, at a different game Saturday. I was at uh, Alabama Ole Miss. And, you know, I've been following along with Tennessee, but I, I didn't see the end of the game. And the game ends, and I see all this chatter on Twitter about Josh Heupel running up the score. I thought, oh, boy, here we here we go. Um, and, and in going back and watching the end of that game later, 
you know, I didn't see much problem with it. The, the, the reserves were on the field. This would have been different, I thought, if Hinden Hooker and, uh, and your first string was out there. But you had Joe Milton leading the offense with a second string offensive line, backup wide receivers, and Dylan Sampson, the freshman running back, runs it in from a yard out into the end zone with 36 seconds left. I didn't see what the big hubbub was about. I don't know why everybody thinks there's some unwritten rule that you have to take a knee in that situation. I mean, is Missouri less embarrassed uh, if they lose by 35 points versus 42? I'm sure the players are coming away disappointed. They lost that game and the whole bit. Uh, but you had that argument in one camp, and it seemed like the other argument in the other camp was, well, Tennessee's got to do whatever possible to get its playoff resume looking good for the committee. I don't totally buy that one either. I don't think the committee is going to suddenly you know, think the Vols are a playoff team because they won by 42 points versus 35 points. Uh, I don't think that that really matters. But my thought was, if Josh Heupel wants to give his reserves a chance to run, operate a drive and, and score a touchdown, I see no problem with that. What did you guys think? What was your takeaway there? I think if you polled uh, the coaches, or maybe not polled them, if you put the 131 FBS coaches in the same situation as that, I would say about two-thirds of them would have taken a knee there. About a third of them would have just said kind of what you laid out, which is I have my reserves in here. And, you know, by the way, the opponent still has their starting quarterback and most of their starters in the game. So it's not like Missouri was saying this game's over. Uh, I would think about a third of them uh, would have gone ahead and did what Josh Hopple did, which was score you know, I don't really have an issue with it either way. I sort of judge these things, you, you know, similar to sometimes readers or fans will ask about why you're critical of a player, like in something you write critical of a specific player. And and I have this sort of idea that if you're talking about a middle school player, you don't criticize them. A high school player, you criticize them just a little bit, but not too much. A college player, they're they're mostly open for criticism and then NFL, you can say absolutely whatever you want. I take s sort of the same approach to judging these types of things. If this is a middle school game, you take a knee. High school game, you almost always take a knee. College, eh, NFL, whatever. I, I think that's where I see sort of the spectrum. And I don't in a in a college game, an SEC game, it's it's fine. It's fine. What I've done it if I was coach, well, I'm not coach. Uh, but it's it's an SEC game. I, I mean, there are other contexts here, too. If this is UT Martin and you're clearly superior, you take a knee. This is supposed to be your equal. This is, an, this is another SEC team. Also, I think we're, we're never probably going to know what Josh Hopple said to Eli Drinkwitz uh, there when he whispered in his ear at uh, midfield in the handshake. I suspect it was something like, Hey, I just wanted to get my my twos and threes, a little bit of work there around the goal line. Nothing personal. Hope you didn't take it that way. Eli Drinkwitz probably thought it was something personal when he went out there. When he heard that, he probably shrugged his shoulders and said, eh, that's okay. In his postgame comments, he reflected that. So if the two sides don't have like a big beef about it, then I, I don't see why anybody else should either. And by the way, if Missouri somehow in the future is in a position where Eli Drinkwitz can pour it on Josh Hopple's team, uh, then Josh Hopple has no room to complain, and I don't think he will. I've never had a problem with, quote, running up to score. I think you're foolish to keep your starters in if the game is in hand because of the injury issue, but you put your backups in. It's always bothered me when teams put their backups in, they're ahead by 45 points, and they're trying to hold down the score. 
So they give the ball to a third string running back and he runs into an eight man front. He's beating his head against the wall. It's not fair to your team. You should keep running your offense and run everything in your offense. I'm all for that. I mean, you're, you're to me, you're just being overly sensitive and you can argue and uh, about whether this makes an impression on the committee. And I don't know that it does, but there is a, there's, I think when you put up startling numbers, it contributes to an image. And I think when Tennessee, if it scores 72 on South Carolina after scoring 66 on Missouri, I think it helps create an image that this offense is unstoppable unless you got Georgia's defense. But I go back to the 2004 season when there were three unbeaten teams, Southern Cal, Oklahoma, and Auburn. Tommy Turbeville was coach at Auburn. All one, they're all very talented. Our, Auburn's team was loaded with uh, future NFL players. But it didn't make that play. It wasn't a playoff. Then they selected two teams. It was Southern Cal and Oklahoma. And I have no doubt that Oklahoma ran up some huge scores. I, I don't have any problem with that, as I said. But that it's it kept running its offense, had a big-time offense. Tuberville playing in the SEC, a, a tougher league even then, uh, was more conservative. He, once he got a game in hand, he was very conservative, running clock, taking care of the ball, that kind of thing. So Auburn was left out of that playoff. Southern Cal beat Oklahoma something like 51-7. to seven. I think Auburn and Southern Cal would have been a great game. Pro prospects all over the field on both teams. And I think Auburn might have won. So that really made an impression on me. Can I just piggyback one quick thing on that? I, I love what you said there, John, about image, uh, because Tennessee's image this year is that it is the absolute best offense in the country. Not one of the best, the best. And that was tarnished in the Georgia game. They're number one right now in scoring offense. They're number one in total offense. The committee members, are they judging on style points? Yeah, I don't think really that much. But their image is this is the absolute best in the country on one side of the ball, and they upheld that in that game. And I, I think that's I think that matters. If you're one of the best, if you're top five, I don't think style points matter. But the Cliff's Notes version of that game that a committee member will take away was they had the school record in in yards, and they put up sixty six in an SEC team. And I, I, I don't think they're going to delve too much into what the score was in the second quarter or these sort of things. They're going to look at a Heisman Trophy candidate, put up great numbers. They had the best offensive day of anybody in the country, and they're still the best offense in the country. And, the, and that's, that's you, you do that more so by getting more points at the end. And, and if they do that against South Carolina and Vandy, the one thing that will stick in the committee member's mind is that's the absolute best at that one thing. Yeah, a, sometimes we, we get uh, the perspective of a former high school quarterback, uh, Adam, on this podcast was a, was a high school quarterback. So I want to offer the perspective of a, a former high school basketball bench warmer, which would be me. Uh, when the game gets out of hand at the end of the game and you clear the benches, again, I say this with the perspective of being a guy who spent a lot of time on that bench in basketball games in high school. Second strings are in there. You are launching threes. Give me the ball. It is rising fire. I'm popping threes. And and the reserves on the court don't care. 
if the other team's firing up threes, it is it is give me the ball and it's <laughs> chucking time. Now, I might have been a little offended if the other team had its starters still on the field at that point and they were they were beating the hell out of us. But, you know, as long as it's second string versus second string, it's fine. We're shooting. They don't need to run out the clock because they shoot faster. That's more time for me to get the ball back and fire a three. Um, and I look at, you know, what Tennessee had on the field here. They got backup quarterback Joe Milton in, uh, who might become the starter next year. When Hinton Hooker leaves, Joe Milton is going to be the favorite, the in-house favorite to, to be the starter. Who knows what Tennessee may or may not look for in the transfer portal. You got Nico coming in, the five-star freshman. But in terms of in-house candidates right now, Joe Milton is the favorite to be the starter after Hinton Hooker leaves. He deserves a chance to operate you know, in this, in the fourth quarter, as if this is an opportunity to gain experience for him taking over the starting role next year. So no problem with him throwing a bomb down there to the one yard line. Then you got Dylan Sampson, freshman running back. You want him to be optimistic about the future, right? You don't want him thinking, ah, you know, I I wish I could have got some more playing time this year. Wish I would have got more touchdown opportunities. Maybe I ought to transfer. You don't (laughs) want him thinking that you want to give him the ball and let him feel good about himself, score a touchdown. And he thinks, Hey, Next year, I'm going to be climbing up on, on the depth chart. Look what I did in that fourth quarter against Missouri. So I, I just think there's so many reasons to give your your backups, especially in this era of the transfer, where if guys get disgruntled just a little bit, they can pop in the portal. No, you want you want to re- reward your reserves, you know, the guys who stuck it out with your program, or then your younger reserves, you want to show them that, hey, your time's coming. You impress us here in, in mop-up duty, and next year or even later this season, you, you might get – chance for more action i think sometimes people don't understand how focused and how narrowly focused in a good way that some of these especially offensive coaches are situational football is this phrase that all these offensive gurus use apple uses it eli drinkowitz uses it by the way situational football that how do we do on on third and four you know from the six how do we do uh, – how, how does Joe – yeah, Joe Milton can throw it deep, but I want to know how he performs with a zone read inside the five-yard line. Um, you know, how does he throw the fade inside the 10-yard line? Um, you know, how's his RPO game? Last year he struggled running the ball some. How does he run the ball now in certain situations? Um, what, what kind of look can he uh, can he see and, and, and uh, react to? I mean, Joe Milton's thrown 25 passes this year. We, we see all these games where – in mop-up duty, he throws these great deep balls. He suddenly can throw the deep ball this year. And uh, we think that he's, you know, just played a ton of time in these blowouts. But he's, he's thrown 25 passes. Um, getting him work is convincing him and Josh Hopple that he can do the job next year. And everything that they see in these individual situations, that's what's in Josh Hopple's head. Situational football, you only get so reps at each situations, and they don't like to waste them. And I think that's what happened there at the goal line. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I put a little history on this. Uh, one of General Neyland's, uh maxims, uh, you can't go wrong, uh, quoting General Neyland, one of the maxims was uh, take your fight to the opponent and keep it there for 60 minutes. So that would be oh, sacrilegious for Tennessee not to try to score the maxims. There you go, John. Yeah, it didn't say go keep wrong, the fight there for 59 minutes and 30 seconds. Keep it there no. for 60 minutes. <laughs> no. Uh, guys, I want to um, follow up on something Adam 
said here as we we change gears away from piling up the points to uh, you know you mentioned Adam Hinton Hooker a Heisman candidate delivered a Heisman type performance a uh, couple couple weeks to go here and we all have Heisman votes and the Heisman trust uh, demands that we not disclose our ballots in in advance so I'm not saying to disclose your ballot of course things might change the next couple weeks anyway but how are you feeling about Hinton Hooker's Heisman chances? Wasn't his best performance against Georgia. Wasn't the worst quarterback has played against Georgia either. Um, just a so-so performance there. But really, by and large, the rest of the season, he's played great. Um, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Drake May from North Carolina. I mean, you can run down the list. There's there's a handful of quarterbacks playing really well. Hinton Hooker is, is near at the top of that list. So how do you handicap... Hooker's Heisman chances here with with two games to go in the regular season. He has a really good chance of being a finalist. Um, just judging the lay of the land, I don't, I don't. I can see why he's not the front runner. I'm not saying that's my vote, but uh, C.J. Stroud I think is the front runner. This is the the narrative of the Heisman this year is that nobody really wants it, and, and I say that somewhat in jest. But usually in the past, by the time we get into November. You, you know the guy that sort of grabbed it with both hands and it has to be pried away from him. Nobody's grabbed it this year. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud really hasn't had a lot of opportunities. I mean, you know, they beat Notre Dame early in the year. They beat Penn State. Okay. I mean, his, his chance to, you know, maybe win it is going to be in the Michigan game. Um, you know, Hooker played great against LSU and he played great against Alabama two pluses for him he didn't play great against georgia it's a minus for him and you can kind of look across the landscape and find those you know plus two minus one type of things with a lot of these quarterbacks stroud is the only one i think that doesn't have really a bad blemish in because he you know his team hasn't lost um so the michigan game will determine that if if ohio state beats michigan and uh stroud plays well i think he's going to be the Front runner, maybe clear front runner going in. If he plays poorly, then Hooker probably jumps up in, in the number one spot. Or if he plays poorly and loses and Blake Corum on the Michigan side plays well and Michigan wins, I think Corum probably jumps up there. I think there's a lot that's riding on that one game because we just don't have a guy that's sort of taken the uh taken it over so far. Hooker has a great chance of being a finalist, which is what I think top four now, as long as the votes are close enough. Um, as a great chance of being a finalist, he can still win it, but he's not the front runner. Yeah, I really like Hooker still. I mean, I've watched uh, I've watched Stroud play, and the thing he doesn't he he doesn't bring what Hooker does as a dual threat guy as much. He can't run as well uh, to me as Hooker can. I think Hooker does a lot more. There's more of this offense is it, everything's geared to what he does. So. I kind of favor Hooker, but I agree with Adam. If uh, if Stroud plays great against Michigan, I think he will be the front runner. I don't penalize Hooker a whole lot for uh, for what he did against Georgia. I think a lot of people look at Bo Nix of Oregon as a as a Heisman candidate, and uh, he didn't do anything against Georgia. So I kind of I kind of discount that, and and I still uh, I would probably have. Um, Bryce Young on my ballot because I've watched pretty much all of Alabama's games. He doesn't have the support that these other guys do. 
And I don't penalize a guy because he's already won the Heisman, but his receivers drop as many passes as any group in the country. Uh, Alabama doesn't have a great offensive line. It's just okay. And Bryce Young, I've just seen him make so many eye-popping plays, uh, highlight video stuff, and he's played with a hurt arm. Uh, So uh, I give him a lot of credit, and and I will still consider Bryce Young. Yeah, I think that's a good point, John. I think you could make an argument to have Bryce Young on the ballot, and I say that, you know, having watched another (laughs) really good Bryce Young performance, and that was one of, if maybe the only reason, why Alabama beat Ole Miss on Saturday. So I could see him being, uh, you know, on on ballots. I think the SEC camp, you know, of, of voters in the South probably have Hinton Hooker higher on, on the list. And that's kind of the way I look at things, guys. I almost look at, at a Heisman race, particularly one as competitive as this one, as if it's a, a U.S. Senate race. You know, we're just coming off the midterms. If you'll humor me on this a little bit, you know, it's like in, in a Senate race election, the Democratic candidate normally knows he's going to he or she's going to perform really well in the cities, the urban areas, right? And and the Republican candidate's going to clean up in the rural areas. Sometimes those elections come down to, well, if you're the Republican, you know you're not going to win the cities, but how well can you do? Can you peel some of those voters away and not get trounced? And if you're the Democrat, you know you're not going to win in the rural areas probably, but can you peel some voters away? Can you can you hold your own in the rural areas? Um, and, and win the election that way. That's kind of the way I look at a Heisman race as competitive as this one. You know, C.J. Stroud's going to dominate the vote in Big Ten country with Big Ten voters. He's going to be atop the ballot in most of those places. I think in the South, I think Hinton Hooker's going to top a lot of ballots from voters who cover the SEC. You get into Texas, you might have Max Duggan, the TCU quarterback, atop some ballots there. But which of these guys is going to be number two on enough ballots to pair that with the support in their regional hub, you know, peel off some, some second place support in big 10 country. If you're, if you're Hinton hooker out West, you know, get some of those West coast voters putting you high up on their ballot. I think the Heisman race could be decided by that. We know, and I'd be very surprised if Hinton hooker isn't cleaning up on a lot of ballots that go to, to people who like us, you know, mostly spend our time covering the sec. Same with if, if you're a, uh, a beat writer of a Big Ten team. I think C.J. Stroud's probably going to be atop your ballot, but where does Hinton Hooker fall on, on that ballot? That that could be, you know, if Joe Burrow's in, out there this year, then then we know he's going to win the Heisman. It doesn't matter. But in a race as competitive as this one, how many second and third place votes are you picking up in those parts of the country where maybe you're not number one on the ballot? Yeah, I, I do think West Coast will have a, a pretty good impact on this. I, I think Hendon could be handicapped a little bit in that I think he'll get, like you said, I think he'll get a lot of first place votes in the South. CJ Stroud will get a lot of first place votes in, in the North. Um, but I think, I think the Northern votes would probably be more Stroud one and could be quorum two, where I think in the South, it could be hooker one and Stroud two. Uh, you know, I, I think that could play into it. Th- there's some little contextual things I think that matter here too. Um, like Bo Nix will be in the mix, maybe. I bet he does. He gets very few votes in the South because people will look at him and say, "I saw him at Auburn. He's not that good." I think there's going to be some in ACC country and the Northeast that's going to look at Hendon Hooker and say, "Ah, eh, I'm at Virginia Tech. He is really good, but that must be a system thing down there." Um, I, I think you're going to have 
people with like, you know, varied opinions about guys specifically. I do think Hendon will be hurt a little bit in the second and third place votes compared to Stroud because I think Stroud came into the year as a favorite. So I think he was on people's ballot already and you and they would have to take him off of the ballot. I think Hendon Hooker more was probably off a lot of people's ballots and has to be added to it as the year goes on. You never know. Every voter is different. I, I try to have a clean slate. That's easy to say, but I try to have a clean slate in my mind and just, uh, you know, look at big games and look at overall numbers and, and those sort of things. If ever there was a year, I don't mean to give Tennessee heartburn on this because they don't have to worry about this year, but if, if there was ever a year where a great defensive player would have a, a good chance, uh, this would be the one. Uh, but if you look at the, you know, the top eight or top 10 in terms of odds, there's not even a defensive player on there. It's like nine quarterbacks and Blake Corum. So Tennessee fans don't have to worry about that too much. Yeah, I think one thing that could help Tennessee is Tennessee has become kind of a TV favorite. It's uh, a lot of people are watching the balls. Their highest rated games, uh, Tennessee versus Alabama, and he put on an epic performance. And so I think some, a lot of voters in different parts of the country have seen them, um, seen him. So I think that could work in his favor. So I, I just really like his chances of winning this thing. I really do. And I think it, the only thing that will prevent it, if CJ Stroud goes like 35 for 40 and 500 yards on Michigan, uh, <laughs> and maybe hits a Hail Mary to win the game at the end. I, I just, I think Hendon Hooker can win this. A guy I haven't seen play that I want to watch, I'm going to record his game, is uh, Drake May at North Carolina. Seen some highlights of him. Very talented, a dual threat guy. His stats are tremendous. I know he's playing in the ACC, and I don't give the ACC a lot of credit, but from what I've seen of him in the highlights, I want to watch more of him. I, I would still consider him. Yeah, my, my final thought on this, that you mentioned the, you guys both mentioned the Michigan game for Stroud. I think that's one thing that works against Hinton Hooker. Um, you know, final impressions. I think, I mean, Hinton Hooker may put up 500 yards against Vanderbilt in his final impression in front of Heisman voters, but everyone will say, yeah, well, that's against Vanderbilt. C.J. Stroud has an opportunity that Hooker, by no fault of his own, just doesn't have. It's the way the schedule falls for Tennessee. Stroud can can finish with a flourish against Michigan in a game that's likely to be undefeated versus undefeated, whereas Hinton Hooker's final showing in front of Heisman voters uh, will be against Vanderbilt. Segwaying into kind of final thoughts here, guys, I want to touch on on the playoff situation. It was it was obviously important. Tennessee won. They need to keep winning. Uh, and then elsewhere in, in Pac-12 land, Oregon goes down. UCLA goes down. So there's now only one team remaining in the Pac-12 that has a chance to get to 12-1, and one, and that would be Southern Cal. On the downside for Tennessee, TCU took care of Texas and continues its march to an undefeated season. So, guys, do you think it's fair to say, to boil it down to, and in full disclosure, we're recording this before the playoff rankings come out, but I think we have a pretty good idea of how like the top seven is going to look on Tuesday night. Fair to say that Tennessee needs either TCU or USC to lose, and if one of those two things happen and Tennessee keeps winning, they're in good shape for the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I think 
TCU, if TCU wins out, uh, they Tennessee will be uh, behind them. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not as big on USC. And I, I, I get it. I mean, if they if they went out, they'll ha- have beaten UCLA, Notre Dame, which means more now than it did, you know, a few weeks ago. And then they would been win the Pac-12 championship games. So that's three ranked teams. Uh, you know, at least, at least probably one of those top 10. I, I still don't think that resume-wise, the only way that USC has a better resume in that is if you give a lot of bonus points to winning the Pac-12 championship, which they, they do give bonus points. Because Tennessee, at this point, of all the teams that we're sort of considering for that last spot or last two spots or whatever, Tennessee has the best resume, best strength schedule, best strength of record, all these sort of things. They have the best two wins. LSU and Alabama of any of these teams we're considering, and they have the best so-called best loss of any of those to number one Georgia. So if you're stacking up blind resumes. Um, Tennessee Tennessee has a better resume than USC. Um, they should they should get in. USC should not be a consideration head to head with Tennessee. But because of the Pac-12 championship, um, that's going to be the case. I, I do feel like there's some anxiety with Tennessee fans in that. You know this is. Uh, sort of like a Marvel comic or Marvel movies. If you guys ever, I don't know that you guys ever see those, but um, then a villain and then they're like the next episode of the next movie. There's like another, another villain you didn't even consider beforehand. And that's sort of what this is, you know, okay. Or Oregon's done. You don't have to worry about Oregon. Oh wait, here comes USC. I, I, I didn't even know USC was a possibility here, but apparently they are. And so I think that's, I, I think Tennessee feels like they've slayed a dragon and then suddenly another one pops up and LSU is still lurking around there that if they, if they won the SEC title, they maybe probably get ahead of Tennessee. All UT can win is, is UT can do is just win these last two, win them convincingly and, you know, hope for the PAC 12 to have some issues out there um, to sort of do a round robin thing. That's, that's their best way. Cause I don't know that, I don't think TCU is going to lose now. I thought the Texas game was their chance to lose and they didn't lose it. Yeah. And, uh, if we're going the movie route, I see Hendon hooker is Superman. So it doesn't matter what villain comes his way. He will take care of him, Adam. So fans shouldn't worry about that. That's, that's, that's DC comics. That's not Marvel, John. A, <laughs> oh, I'm so wrong analogy, but, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 out of my my lane here. Um, <laughs> I would look at Southern Cal. I just think that college football likes Southern Cal. I mean, it's a storied program, and we get back to image here. I think if Southern Cal wins the rest of its games and wins that Pac-12 championship, it's going to make the it's going to make the uh, college football playoff. Uh, and I don't think it will, though. That's the good news for Tennessee fans. Uh, I think it'll lose a game. I think it might lose to UCLA this week. Um, I watched all these teams play because I, I stay up late at night and uh, watched them all play. I think Southern Cal will lose a game. And uh, wouldn't be surprised if TCU lost, especially if it plays Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. I think Kansas State can hang with pretty much anybody. Don't let its record fool you. On its best day, it can be really good. So I think uh, I think both of those teams will lose. Uh, can TCU get in with one loss? Probably not. All right. Well, things we've learned today. John likes Tennessee's playoff chances and Hooker's Heisman chances. Adam's a comic book nerd. 
and I was a high school basketball bench warmer. Yeah, all the coverage uh, this 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 week we'll have it from uh, Tennessee, South Carolina over at knoxnews.com and uh, we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.